Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers, and welcome to episode 185 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here, as always, to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out in the trails, keep you stoked, and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks for being with us this week and thanks for tuning in to the podcast. Now in this week's show we are chatting with Andy Ward. Now Andy has been a mechanic for a number of years on the World Cup circuit. He's been wrenching for people like the Athertons, Lapierre, Mondraker and a number of other teams and has had great success in that environment. But Andy had always a passion for creating something like his own brand, something related to the mountain bike industry. So after hanging up his spanners, he decided to go that route and has created a really cool looking brand called Virus Brand. Now it's an eyewear brand, goggles, glasses, but he's starting to do his own clothing, his own riding gear and stuff like that. But the colours are bold, nice big branded logos. I really like the style of the stuff and it's going down a storm on social media and he's doing very, very well with it. So when I ran across his stuff on social media, I just had to get Andy on the show because it's really cool the way these guys set up these small brands and they grow into something that they can have a career with, that they can retire and just do this for a living. It's such an inspirational story. And um, I love chatting to guys like Andy that, you know, take that passion and take that step forward and make this thing work. Now, Andy has been super cool to offer all MTB Tribe podcast listeners a virus brand discount promo code. Simply use the code MTB Tribe 10. That's lowercase MTB Tribe 10 at checkout or when in contact with Andy or Virus. The discount code will be available until the 30th of April, so snap up your discounted gear before it's too late. Now, with that said, let's get on with the show and welcome Andy to the MTB Tribe Podcast. Hi Andy, welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast. How's things with you this morning, sir? Yeah, great. Thanks, Gareth. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Um, Much appreciated. Yeah, you're more than welcome, mate. You're more than welcome. And uh, listen, I love your brand. I love your virus brand. Um, very eye-catching. The imagery is very, very good. And we'll get into that. You do goggles and you do glasses and clothing and stuff. Um, really rad. So I want to chat about that stuff with you. But you're an ex-World Cup mechanic as well. Yeah. Um, so ex-World Cup mechanic turned brand owner. So that's... that's- <laughs> Um, so yeah uh, I mean where do I start with that yeah it's crazy man like you know we were chatting a little bit there before we hit the record button Mm. and you said you always kind of wanted to own your own brand and you've kind of you've almost fallen into it in a way here uh, which is really cool but we were chatting about the old DC days and yeah. the old skate days. And, you know, I come from that kind of industry and that kind of background. Mm. And it's funny we were chatting about it, but I see that in your brand. Yeah. You know, just, just by your logo, the bright, the bright, bold colors, you know, just the yeah. big logo in your face. I think that's missing from the mountain bike game, to be honest. I love that style of stuff. Yeah, and I think the feedback I've had is it's quite a fresh 
sort of looking brand, you know. And, and yeah, I was, even though I'm not a skater, uh, I did hang around with skaters. Um, but as a mountain biker back in the late 90s, I was uh, kind of drawn into that sort of look. You know, that was the look of a mountain biker wearing DC shoes, baggy jeans, um, big logos on T-shirts. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of, you know, stuck with me since those years, you know, and, you know, big fan of DC and Etnies and, and the likes of them, really. So mm-hmm. I love that kind of whole surf skate culture. Um, and I suppose that's that's what comes out in my in my designs, I suppose. And, yeah, to hear that sort of feedback from you, it's um, it means obviously it has had, you know, showing that it's got that impact on it. So, yeah, it's quite cool. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I am sitting wearing a DC hoodie at the minute. It's an old school one. It's about yeah. 20 years old. <laughs> Uh, at least it laughs anyway <laughs> yeah um you know it, it's cool like and you've been in the mountain bike scene a long time like how did you get into mountain biking can you remember what gave you the spark to get started in that i, I do remember actually yeah my my basically my mom and dad used to run a news agents um and we used to sell magazines in there and uh we used to live right by a place called Canet chase uh it was literally on the doorstep and that's that's a big area for mountain biking now um and I always remember seeing MBUK in, on the shelf, actually, and it was the mud edition. And it had, uh, I can't remember who was on the front. I think it may have been Steve Pete when he was on the GT uh, MBUK team. And uh, and I picked it up, started reading it, and, uh, yeah, and then kind of it went from there, really. So I can't remember what year that was. I think it was probably like 94, 95, I think. Um, and it just developed from there, really. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I was doing paper rounds for my dad I was stocking shelves in the shop I was doing everything to make money uh, I mean he didn't have a lot of money to kind of fund a bike for me so I had a really tricked out bike all the anodized bits Middleburn parts Megura uh, rim brakes everything Mizoki forks when they came out um, and that was all bought through working like three paper rounds and and stacking shelves at the weekend so um, yeah it was uh, that was kind of how I got into it really and then yeah. I kind of started racing downhill back in 96 isn't it crazy that if your parents work on a news agency you have to do the paper round i had to do that as well really (laughs) Uh, yeah well literally if anyone phoned in sick it was like oh yeah i'll get andy to do it and then i'm literally before i got to school i'd done like four paper rounds some mornings and i was just dead you know um and then i'd have the same again in the evening as well and i had the worst I had the worst paper round they could possibly give me, which was riding out into the countryside for miles just to deliver. There wasn't many papers, so the bag wasn't heavy, but I had to do some miles. It was yeah. uh, crazy. What, so, what bike were you on doing that? Was that a BMX? No, I was on a oh, – I think I started on an Apollo from Halfords and then ended up on this – I don't know if it even exists now uh, – Alcarta Cascade, I think it was called. It was this right. red one with like a weird – bottom bracket frame like came down from the main top down tube it was it was an odd looking bike but it was uh, it was my little pride and joy so yeah i was into bmx when i was younger i was doing my paper rounds in the bmx and it wasn't the best kind of bike to be doing paper rounds on <laughs> no definitely I, imagine that. I had a few mates that turned up on their bmx just to do round, uh, like paper rounds and yeah it wasn't a good wasn't a good move especially where we live because it was quite hilly as well so um, yeah yeah could have been fun but there you go <laughs> yeah wow wow so when you get into the mountain bike you got yourself a bike and, and stuff yeah. like what were your local trails like then and were, and were there many we were just your riding, friends riding? yeah on Cannot chase it's it's got a heavy deer population so there was a lot of 
natural single tracks like created by the deer so wow, okay. yeah you know we'd, we'd go up um there's like a local valley uh where there's like some a stream through the middle and some stepping stones it's quite a, it's, it's quite a big tourist area for this area um a tourist spot should i say um and we'd just ride all the deer tracks um and then you know as kids we'd go up there and with a spade sometimes and you know build a berm or a or a jump or something like that which you know in that area now it's pretty much frowned upon because of you know it's getting very very busy up there with walkers and um there's not as much building going on there now so but it's uh yeah that's how we started really and we'd we had a quarry the used quarry we used to go to we'd all meet up there on a sunday um like from all the towns that surround Cannock chase would look like there'd be a group of mix of us like from like stafford rugey Cannock all descend on this one disused quarry and build jumps. And we had a four cross track in there when that was big back in the late nineties. Wow. And yeah, it was just a good time, you know, like we'd meet, go up there with a pat lunch and we'd just ride the quarry all day and then ride home. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a good laugh. Yeah. Yeah. That's when, that's when the days of getting outside were the thing to do, right? You weren't sitting in front of a freaking game console or something. Yeah. And there was, it was obviously a lot less popular. So at school, like I was, I wouldn't say I was popular at school because I was a mountain biker and I dressed like a skater and things like that. So it's, it was a bit odd, you know, times for, to be at school, but I think it's a bit different nowadays. Um, and, uh, you know, we'd have our crew of riders that would meet up and then that, that was the kind of riders who I started going racing with. So we just kind of fell into the racing scene. Um, so we started with a local downhill race on Canet Chase and then kind of started doing all the Midlands and then a few nationals and things like that. So, um, mm-hmm crew and i'm still in touch with a lot of them now you know they're still good friends so um i would say i mean i've only got one friend i'm in touch with from school um the rest are all from biking um yeah kind of how my life's kind of gone really so yeah cool does does the friends that you rode with then do they are they still under the bike scene do they still ride yeah they still ride um obviously haven't seen them much over the last 12 months um but yeah they still ride and you know we we always like, you know, comment on each other's stuff on Facebook and that. And, you know, they, they, you know, there's a lot of people offering me support with the brand as well. Um, you know, so that's, that's cool. Um, you know, everyone's kind of keen to know what's going on with it and how it's going on. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's kind of, and then when you bump into them when you're out riding, it's just, you know, natural, you know, it's like we grew up like riding together and, and it's, it's a good healthy scene here on Canic Chase. It's, um, there's quite a few local businesses as well involved in the sport. Um, loads of bike shops it's just so busy now it's uh pr- crazy times up here but um yeah, yeah. It's, good. it's good to see yeah like i'm sure you've seen the the scene explode with the covid thing as well yeah and you know as a as a, a long-term mountain biker can it chase it's uh it's getting a bit ridiculous like the amount of people there it's um yeah i came face to face with a motocross rider the other day as well um, what yeah, yeah. There's a load of them on there. There's a lot of electric motorbikes taking over the trails, and you know, I had a few words with this motocross rider. But you know, um, you know, we tried to have a bit of a healthy chat about it. You know, he got a bit funny with me. You know, I just kind of was like, "Look, you shouldn't really be on here," and he's like, "Well, you should be on. You're on a bike," and I'm like, "Yeah, but mine's you know pedal powered." And mm. uh, yeah, it's just it's getting a bit. Everything. Everyone's kind of. I mean, I went out on a Wednesday evening, and it was busy. And it's like never been like that before. So yeah, well, it's uh, yeah, it's kind of you know the, the coronavirus pandemic's been good in getting people out outdoors and enjoying the outdoor lifestyle. But yeah, it's uh, as a 
there's a mountain bike that's been using Canic for a long time. It's uh, it's getting really busy. So yeah, it's it's a weird one. Like I see it down here. I live on the north coast, um, right on the beach. You know, so I'm like yeah. two three minutes from the local beach here, and there's three or four beaches around me. But the surf thing's taken off massively over COVID as well. Okay, yeah, yeah. and you know, over the winter we would have been it would just been the local hardcore boys because it gets really cold right so so you would you would have went to a perfect a day perfect peak perfect conditions and there maybe been five or six of of us out you go there now and there's maybe 40 in the war and they haven't got the same like etiquette as the normal like the hardcore guys have they so they get in the way i suppose do they Yeah. yeah well this this is the problem and i don't I don't understand. When I grew up surfing, there was no such thing as the internet or YouTube or, you know, and we all had surf etiquette. Now, I can't even remember how we learned that. It was through magazines or I I don't know, but the the young kids now, they have no surf etiquette at all. Yeah. And they have all the advantage of learning about it and but everybody drops in on everybody and i just can't do it i can't deal with it i have to go somewhere else to where there's you know i have to drive another half hour somewhere to go somewhere where there's no crowds you know yeah yeah, Um, yeah. do you find that in the mountain bike scene as well that there's no etiquette because there is mountain etiquette right there is yeah and i think i can relate to your point there like where where did we learn it it's just i think because there was so little of us back in the day it's you're kind of learning from the people because it was so new back then as well. I suppose in the nineties, um, we kind of developed with it, um, and and now like I don't know if it's to do with YouTube. I don't know, but obviously they maybe they learn bad habits through seeing stuff on on YouTube. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of kids, you know, they 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 do what the pros do. You know, and if they see them doing something on a video, um, yeah, I think some pros may have to be a bit more responsible you know, what they put out. But at the end of the day, they're trying to get some airtime and get the views. And that's what, that's what gets the views now. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think, I think I would like to educate some people that I come, come across when I'm out riding. But, um, you know, I think the big thing at the moment is e-bikes, which is taking over. Um, I mean, they're just cutting corners everywhere on the track. Like we've got purpose-built trails here and you ride up a, like a, um, like a hairpin section and, there's just a line going through the middle of it and <sighs> e-bikes just riding right way through and yeah they're not even bothering with the corners you know so it's just tearing up trails left right and center so i don't know where where it's all gonna come to head but it's um yeah whether we all have to just accept it and get an e-bike i don't know but <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's changing for sure but you know the sport's healthy um you know i shouldn't really I'm not complaining, but it's, you know, I, yeah, I'm in, I'm in the business, you know, I'm in, the, I'm in the industry. So, uh, as a brand, so it's good having more people doing it. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, people need to kind of learn to, you know, a bit more respect, I think in some places is needed yeah. on our old school mindsets. I think that's maybe what it is. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I'm old now, so I'm not a young kid anymore. So it, maybe I was like that as a kid. I don't know. So that's the thing. Uh, yeah. It's weird. Um, but like some of the stuff the kids are doing now, right, man, it just blows your mind. Yeah, like like what they call it, shrouding corners and things like that. No, it's a big thing, isn't it? 
Um, yeah, I mean the the, the 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 scale of like what people are doing now is is crazy. You know, it's it's great. Um, yeah, it's it's you know, there's a lot of kids out there with talent. You know. Totally, totally. Well, listen, when you were growing up at that age, did you ever think you wanted to have a career in the mountain bike industry? Yeah, um, I think I always. It's weird because I always said to myself, and I, and I remember. <laughs> I remember on my careers day at school, I think I was 15, and uh, they said, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to travel the world and uh, be a be an Olympic athlete. <laughs> That's what I, <laughs> I said originally, um, like, and be on the circuit. And uh, and then I kind of grew up with all the Sprung movies and seeing all the after-race parties at World Cups and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be on the World Cup circuit. I, obviously, the goal originally was to be a rider on the circuit. Mm. Um, that never happened, um, unfortunately. Um, I don't know whether I, I was sort of racing junior category and had a big injury and got stretched off a track and fractured my kneecap and I was just never the same after. So wow. um, kind of lost a bit of interest in it and uh, lost a lot of confidence. But turns out, you know, a few years down the line, ended up being on the World Cup circuit, but as a mechanic. Um, and, you know, I was happy doing that. You know, it was traveling the world and doing what I intended to do back in those days so whoever laughed at me at school when I said I'm going to travel the world then you know I had the last laugh really so <laughs> so how did you fall into the mechanic side of things then yeah so it kind of um with running the news agents um I started tinkering with bikes in the back garden I had a little shed that I, my dad bought me and I put all my, my bike stuff in there and my dad used to get people coming in the shop saying oh do you know if there's any like bike shops around and you know and my dad would be like oh why what's up and he's like oh I've just got I need to pump my tire up or something like that and he was like I'll go and see my son in the backyard you know he'll, he'll have a look for you and that's kind of where it started because I remember buying a, a book I think it was like a Haynes manual like bike repair book um, <laughs> yeah and that's where I that's where I learned my basic skills um classic you know, and I was stripping down Mizaki Z1 bombers like in in my shed like you know God knows how I did that without any internet or YouTube videos. It's crazy. Um, but managed, I followed the manual that I had to do it, and it worked. Um, and it kind of went from there. And then I got offered a job at Halfords as a mechanic. So started out my mechanic life at Halfords, uh, where the favorite tool was a hammer. That's pretty much what I learned. Oh, dear. Yeah. Don't go to Halfords. Um, and, you know, it was a good time. And then I, I saw I was riding at the time for mountain cycle. Um, so basically local to me was, uh, the UK distributor for mountain cycle. And I remember seeing, uh, an advert in MBUK, they were looking for riders and it had a local number. So I phoned him and I said, Oh, where are you? <coughs> and he said, Oh, I'm on the Cannock road. So I was like, Oh, I'll ride up to you. So I rode down this main road, like road to see him. I was only 16. I think at the time walked into his, he had like a bed sit and he had like, uh, all these bike frames everywhere. And they, talking like mountain cycle, San Andreas is here and, uh, the shockwave and i was just like in heaven when i walked in there and, <laughs> oh, man this is amazing and we struck up a good relationship and he he wanted to help me out so he offered me a, like an old frame he'd had returned and uh we got it powder coated and i was about to have that and then i fractured my kneecap um oh no he lent me a, a shockwave actually with like rizzy forks on the front and stuff and so i was technically riding for mountain cycle uk was what the, the team was and we had rhino really on there as well which was mm. a big name back then um and uh yeah and then i ended up working for him so i was working at halfords so i used to ride to halfords on my mountain cycle shockwave and uh that was my commuting bike 
and uh, <laughs> and then Andy said to me, my my boss, uh, the, the mountain cycle guy, he said, "Oh, I'm going to set up a shop and uh, use the use it as the hub for the distribution in the UK." So he wanted me to come and run the shop. Uh, we'd do other bikes as well for the local village, and then he'd go out on the road and sell the mountain cycles into all the shops in the UK. So that was kind of my first experience of working with a brand, I suppose, because I was handling all the incoming inquiries i was building the bikes going to magazine tests and you know kind of i think that's kind of where i i learned my trade really i suppose um mm-hmm. and, you know andy was quite entrepreneurial he, he always wanted to be a millionaire he had like five houses he rented out always wanted to buy a ferrari um you know then he got into the hot tub business started importing hot tubs from canada <laughs> uh, right yeah he was one of them you know and i, I kind yeah. of I look back at my life and I think, yeah, he probably molded me into who I am today, you know, a bit of an entrepreneur and always trying to give it a go and try and, you know, going one thing to the other. So um, until, you know, until I found my, my thing, which is the you know, virus at the moment. So, yeah, it was, it was good times. You know, I spent a good few years there. And then I, he, we basically opened up a demo center in the Alps um, with a chalet out there and sent me out there to work for the summer. So, wow. yeah, loving it. You know, I was living in Morzine partying like riding every day i'd open up the workshop in the morning everyone gets their bikes we had a little fleet of hire bikes they come i'd go out riding all day with them come back service the bikes have my dinner go out drinking it was good lifestyle <laughs> so um yeah it's the lifestyle you had seen in those magazines so many years yeah. before huh? yeah yeah and i couldn't believe it you know i was living in morsey and uh living the life you know i was riding every day it was incredible incredible like time and uh what kind of year was that can you remember uh, i turned 22 when i was out there so that would have been 2000 and 2002 right okay yeah yeah so back in those days um so i think i had the shockwave 9.5 then with hannah brink forks on the front which were terrible um had to service them pretty much after every ride uh, <laughs> It was crazy, but yeah, I loved it. Great time. And then I came back and started working for a local bike shop that just started up. Um, and uh, it's quite funny that actually, because my mom and dad were looking at ways of diversifying the business, you know, trying to find a way of making more money because the supermarkets were starting to open on weekend, like on Sundays and mm-hmm. trade. And I said, well, let's turn half the shop into a bike shop. And they were like, oh, a bike shop will never work down here. And I said, oh, it will, it will, you know. Anyway, I went away to France, did this season come back and basically gary ford who was an ex olympic mountain biker and i think he won a, a race at mammoth mountain um he set up a bike shop and i got to know him a little bit and in the same village just down the road from where i used to live where the mom and dad had the shop and uh i went and worked for him and started his workshop for him and uh did three years there and he always said to me you know like you need to build your tool box up you know if you're going to be a, a top mechanic and um he actually ran the specialized gravity team for a few years um oh, okay i think when kyle Strait was on it and anika beaton um and he invited me up for the weekend to fort william for the world cup and said do you want to come and work for the team for the weekend and i was like yeah definitely you know so he gave me a job to do i think i was on the xc uh tech point so i'd literally ride up half the mountain with this heavy bag on my back full of spare wheels and all <laughs> lay it all out at the side of the track and then the riders would come flying past um and if they needed anything i couldn't help them at all because it was one of those unassisted uh, tech zones and yeah uh, yeah 
Yeah, it was great. And I think I helped I think I helped Kyle straight with his downhill bike, you know, his turbo trainer to the top of the mountain. And that was my first taste of, of World Cup mechanic, you know. Um didn't actually do any mechanic in that race, but I was there to kind of observe and help out, you know, be a bit of a runner and Mm-hmm. sort of learn the craft really so i'm you know obviously forever grateful for that opportunity um and as it turns out me and gary had a bit of a um difference of opinion on things like when we we're back at the shop and i i left and uh yeah we didn't part on good ways which is a shame but um mm-hmm. i literally saw an advert on bike biz actually for a head mechanic for the appetents um literally a few months later and mm-hmm. I applied, went for an interview with Brownie, and um, and they offered me the job. I think my first race was Maribor in in May two thousand and nine. So wow, I've gone from like being no one to being picked up by the Athertons and flying to Maribor with them. You know, and- yeah. Like how's that? How's that feel? Like that must be. You're almost thrown in at the deep end in a way. There, like oh yeah. Yeah. You have plenty of experience, obviously, and, and you're good at wrenching and stuff. But like, how does that feel? You're all of a sudden these guys you're reading about in magazines, and these guys you look up to yeah. as you've been growing up. All of a sudden, you're talking to them, you're standing beside them, you're working with them. How does that feel? Um, for me, it, it was it was weird, I suppose, to some extent. But I'm I've I've known a few riders in the past, um, and you know, I've, I've got to learn, you know that they're just normal people and, and they are, you know, they are celebrities in our sport. Um, and you know, they, they're the best at what they do. And I think a lot of people can get quite starstruck with it. And I've only ever been starstruck once in this industry. And that's when I sat next to Sean Palmer, which was my idol back in the day, Yeah. but another story, but, um, like I think it, ju- it was just natural, I suppose. I mean, they picked me up. I met them at a motorway junction and we were on the way to the airport. I think I'd met them. I think I met them before they were doing Biker X at um, Donington Park. And um, so I'd been offered a job and I went and saw Brownie and they said, oh, come and meet the rest of the team and uh, come and hang out. So I went over there and had a bit of a chat with them. But it was, you know, I wasn't, didn't know them before. And so it was a bit odd. And then, but then when they picked me up, you know, just, it was all natural. And, you know, they, they were great, really accommodating. Um, you know, and I became part of the, the Atherton clan and it was um I did two years with them and it was um I mean that first race I did was a test um because you know I quit a job to go and do that um mm-hmm. not knowing if it was going to end up being my full-time job you know because they may have been like oh we're not happy with what you've done like on your way sort of thing but they kept me on and they, I, had, I, I was the head technician for the team so and where it really came into that role was over the winter with testing and you know, I was responsible for sourcing a new truck because when I joined them, they only had the Sprinter van mm-hmm. uh, in the morning. We wanted like proper team clothing, a proper pit space, a bit like motocross. So, um, you know, I was instructed to kind of find a truck, get one made, um, design the layout of the pit and source all the, you know, fit out the workshop at the, at the home. Um, and that was my job basically over the winter that year. So they went yeah. off to California uh, training and I – me and Brownie were in the office and yeah. And then I kind of spent a lot of the time at the house sort of living at their house, building their workshop for them. So, um, yeah. And sourcing the truck. I mean, that was, I mean, yeah, that was, that was good times, you know, buying that truck. Um, I don't know whether you remember that from 2010, I think we launched that. So yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, wow. so when we when we had the team launch in 2010, that was all, you know, the the layout of it all and the look of it. I suppose. I mean, I, I didn't do the design graphics, but yeah, we had, I had a part of that. But the you know the way the team was that year, I think, was yeah, a large part down to, to me. You know, and, and the work I did in the winter. Um, and you know, G had a really successful year that year. You know, he won the overall, and I think he won won three World Cups. I think that year. So. Um, it's really good, even though I wasn't G's mechanic, but um, yeah, still played a big part in that in that year. So that's you know good success there, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and tell us a little bit about your job responsibilities as a mechanic in the World Cup. Like, is it a full time thing? Is it twelve months of the year? Like, what what are you kind of responsible for? Because I think a lot of people don't realise like. I've had Alistair Beggar on the show a couple of times and Alistair designed the nuke proofs that Sam Hill's on, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he used to be a mechanic in uh, in the World Cup. And, uh, you know, some of the stories he told me about making cups of tea and driving all here and there, you know, it didn't really sound like a mechanic's role, but you have to do everything. You have to muck in, right? Like, what was your kind of job responsibilities there? It's... Um... Well, what were the responsibilities? So as a, as a head mechanic, I was in charge of kind of developing uh, the stock system, the um, the logistics, um, and then working out, you know, how we're going to do the testing, trying to find new products, new, for example, new oil fluid, uh, you know, fluid for the brakes. You know, we, we tried, we went out to Fanami and did like two weeks solid testing, you know, different brake fluids and things like that. Wow. That's the extent it goes to you know, you know, I'd print out all the, you know, we'd have like a testing form and fit it all in, get feedback off the rider after each run. But, you know, we'd drive the van, we'd set up the pit, you know, we, the way, the way to put it, I think I'd say we were a bit like minions, I suppose. Like, you know, we <laughs> we literally like do everything and it's nonstop. You know, we, it was such long hours. Um, and I was on a full-time salary with the Appletons, but I suppose if I worked out my hourly rate, probably wasn't great because i was 24 7 pretty much and um you know flying here flying there everywhere it was it was great crazy time but you know i loved it and um i think after that 2010 season because we'd you know we'd we'd flown back from canada to test a new common cell bike and then we had to fly back to canada again to go and do another race and that was all in between and i think the week before we'd just been out to the u.s open me and jihad and um I was just burnt out at the end of the season, totally burnt out. And mm-hmm. you know, I don't think my body knew what day it was, let alone what year it was. So, um, and that's, I think that's the, the dedication you have to put in at that level, um, you know, to, to reach those achievements. It's, it's, it's hard work. I mean, don't get me wrong. All my mates and parents, you know, my mom used to think, think I was going off on holiday all the time. Yeah. Well, where are you off to this time? Oh, I'm off to Australia and it's, you know, everyone thought I was going on holiday, but it's it's not holiday. It's it's work. It's uh, yeah, yeah. We don't really see much of where we went. It was all about the work, and you know, it was it was hard times. You know, sometimes it was you know fourteen, sixteen hour days. Some days, um, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Like it's interesting because when I've young guys on the podcast and they've got signed to a team or they've been on a team for a year or something, you know, professional team with mechanics and and the professional setup, that's the one thing that they say that makes the main difference is having a mechanic, you know, 
that can sort everything. You just basically give him your bike, you have a chat with him, he sorts everything out, and you can concentrate on eating properly, on the trail, on riding, on racing. And you just let, you know, you don't have to do all that stuff yourself. You're not carrying extra bits and bobs. And, and they all say that is the main advantage of being on a professional team. So, like, you guys, the mechanics, have a massive responsibility. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because, you know, if we don't do something right, it can be have an effect on the result. Or, um, you know, yeah, we had, we had different swing arms and stuff on those common cells that we'd have to take. And, you know, I had to make a calculated decision on, on space sometimes on what I could take and what I couldn't take. And there was the one race where I think G wanted a different swing arm, but we just didn't have it. Um, mm-hmm. And it came down to space and weight and things like that. So, you know, I was even prepared to drive from Val de Sol back to the UK to, to get it, <laughs> you know, and wow. it was things like that. I never, never actually went through with that. And, you know, we still got a good result, but, it was things like that, you know, it's, um, it's real testing and you've got to be super committed. Um, mm-hmm. and I think nowadays it's more of a full-time job. A lot of, a lot of the mechanics are, it's seasonal, you know, it's, you know, you'll pick up and drop off, you know, wherever and yeah, you'll have your job at home. You've got to either have your own business or be young and single. It's definitely a, a young person's game because, you know, I, I had a 10 year relationship breakdown because I was uh, away all the time. Um, and that, yeah, that's one of the reasons I stopped stopped doing it was because I, you know, I met someone new and things were going well. And you know, I thought, do I want to be going away for like a month at a time, you know, to like Australia and or there and being here, there and everywhere and just never being home. You know, the schedule mm-hmm. was great. Um, so I decided to step away from it. But um, you know, I think you know, mechanics now that I think they're full time salary, right? You know, mechanics and they. A lot of them do the riding with the right. Yeah, it's changed a lot since I left the industry in that respect. Um, just mm-hmm. since 20, 2015 was my last season. Um, and, I, you know, I've, I'm still in touch with a few of them and I see them at some World Cups that I go to. And the, it's definitely different now for them, I think. Better, definitely. Because when I was in it, you know, the money was never great. It was more of a lifestyle thing and we were pushing for more, you know, we're in the central part of the, the circus, you know, without the mechanics none of the racing goes ahead so yeah. because who drives the trucks there who who sets up the pits who does this who does that you know it felt like sometimes we felt like we weren't valued as as the the job we did um mm-hmm. and i think quite a lot of mechanics out there feel that way even in bike shops as well they feel like you know they're they're the backbone of a bike shop but yet they're probably the, the least paid or less valued um and that's you know that's got to change really because it's a yeah. trade today it's a it's a skill um to fix a bike in, in that respect um, yeah and it, especially with the way the bikes are going right like yeah. Yeah. some of the technology now is unbelievable yeah i mean i'm i'm behind massively now because i i think when i left like telemetry systems was just coming in um i think jack raw was like the first to kind of do that um and then obviously you had david stendek um who passed away last year unfortunately but mm um you know it, it's changed it's it's you know we used to think it was like formula one of, of the mountain bike sport it's even more of the formula one of the mountain bike sport now it's it's crazy what i see now um but it's good i think it's the right way forward you know it's more serious um and and you know they still party like they did <laughs> in the 90s <laughs> yeah don't let them believe what they tell you um 
you know. Yeah, that that stuff doesn't get put on Instagram, right? Not anymore as much, no. And I'm I'm kind of glad. I think I when I was with the Aftons, it was the early days, of the iPhones coming out, and uh, yeah, I mean, I used to go to some parties, and uh, and you know, I, I got a bit of a reputation for being the last man on the dance floor. You know, I was <laughs> I would literally let it all go, like on a after because it you work so hard and. You wouldn't normally go that heavy between rounds, but say if there was a double header, especially like Fort William Leo gang, um, we'd, we'd like not party at all in Fort William. Maybe have a beer with a curry after the race, and then we'd get the boat the next day, have a few beers on the boat, and then do the Leo gang race, and then it would be a massive party. Um, and yeah, yeah, you know, I got into some states, um, <laughs> fun things I'm not proud of, but you know, it's uh, <laughs> I was I was living I was living that. Uh, life that I used to see in the Sprung videos, so I was I was more than happy. It was great. So I had some great times at those parties. It was good fun. Yeah, yeah. It, it's crazy. It kind of goes with that lifestyle industry almost, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, imagine. the snowboarding's the same, skating's the same, surfing's the same, motocross is the same. You know, yeah. you, you work hard, you party hard, kind of thing. Yeah, it is. It's it's uh, it's that mantra. You know, it's like yeah, we worked, you know, our socks off. Um, and uh, I mean, I, actually, I didn't really wear socks that much. I was always wearing flip flops. Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, but you know, um, yeah, we we worked really hard, and you know, we we went hard, you know, at the parties, and um, yeah, it was it was good fun. You know, it just was never a good idea trying to drive a van to the south of France the next day, though, after a big party. Oh. Then, which I had to do once, which was uh, almost missed my flight back to the UK, which wasn't good, but. Um, I got there in the end. <laughs> so, happy days, happy yeah. days. Yeah, like you've you've worked with some great teams. You've worked with Lapierre and Da Vinci, and you know, um, like when you when you hung up your your boots, your mechanic boots. Um, mm. Like, was that a sad time for you, or you know, how long were you in it at that stage? Was it just time to move on? So I'd done eight years. So I did two years with Atherton's, uh, a year in Lapierre, and then I did. Hang on, how many is that? Three. Yeah, so they did four, maybe five seasons with Mondraker, the MS Mondraker team. Mm-hmm. Um, and in between that, I did a summer with the Da Vinci Enduro team with Damien Ottom uh, as the rider. That's when he first burst onto the scene. Um, mm-hmm. So, because I know I knew, I knew Gabe quite well from from the industry, and obviously he said, oh, I need a mechanic for this team. So I did the Da Vinci. So I kind of did, I think it was Sven who said to me, actually, the photographer, he said, oh, you, I think you're the first mechanic to get like a, a win in the World Cup and a win in the Enduro seat. Wow. Damien won his first DWS, which was pretty awesome as a mechanic to have that, you know, under my belt, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I was I was sad to leave it. Um, I was always pushing for more with it. You know, I wanted it to be a full-time thing and, and um and like you know, get a better salary, not just get a you know a day rate or whatever. You know, it's I wanted to yeah. full time with it, but you know, I'd, I'd met Vic, who's now my wife, and uh, you know things were going really well in that winter between seasons, and um, I just thought, you know what, I've got to got to grow up a little bit, really, I suppose, and get a bit more serious. So you know, Vic's got a real serious job, and and there's me, sort of party animal, like you know almost like a surf bum really I suppose I looked in some respects to a family <laughs> so um so I ended up getting a sales job you know I mean out of industry completely like not what I wanted to do uh, and that's what I did and I, I kind of regretted it that first 
the first three months of the year, I think it was 2016, I was just following people on Instagram and it was depressing. I was like seeing them going out to like um, some of that San Romulo where we used to go every year to do testing. Mm-hmm. And the same people doing the same things. And I was like, well, I'm not doing that this year. God, you know, I've made a right mistake. Um, and it took me a while to accept that and, um, and move on. And yeah, I still miss it to some extent, but I don't miss I miss it and I don't miss it at the same time. It's quite weird. Um, yeah. Do you find do you find you miss the people, the connections more so than anything? Yeah, yeah. I made some great friends, friends for life yeah. on that. And uh and it's one big family. It's um you travel together, you drink together, you ride together, you know, uh, even though you're all on different teams, it's all one big family. And I think as some people describe it, it's like a traveling circus. Mm. And you do it like day in day out for like the summer and then you go home after the season and it's like a real down like i'd go down to like my breakfast table in the morning and i'd be on my own and i'd be like really like there's no one here to talk to you know i'm like where's where's my mates who i've been with for the last six months and it's it's really tough at times it really is um yeah so so yeah it's um i do miss the people some of the people anyway not all of them Um, yeah I won't say I won't say names, but, <laughs> uh, but I've got I, yeah I've got some close friends from it, and you know my best friend's Martin, who uh, was the uh, my surfer. Uh, he 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 basically worked for Red Bull, and he was based out of the Mondraker pits. And I met him first when I worked for the Appertons, and um, he actually drove the Atherton truck because we we had this big bloody thirty-seven foot truck, and no one could drive it apart from Stevie and. Obviously, we needed two drivers, and I couldn't drive it because I didn't have my license, and um, we didn't have time to get my license for the start of the season. So we, mm. we had around, and Martin offered to drive the truck for us. So there was me, Stevie, and Martin um, in the truck driving through Europe every after every race, and me and Martin, you know, struck up some really good conversations. I would say he's a bit of a, a life mentor for me in that respect. And mm. you know, I lost my dad, you know, many years ago. Um, I think about 14 years ago and kind of martin he's a lot older than me and he, he kind of became my i used to call him my circuit dad um he was someone i'd go to and speak to and would you know i'd bounce ideas off him and, mm-hmm. you know, and he'd sometimes put me on the, the right path or he'd give me some real cryptic answer and make me work it out myself or something like that you know something ridiculous like that but um you know he's he's a he's a great friend of mine you know he's someone i always talk to and you know he even came to my wedding last year and and you know he's um He's a, he's a good guy, and you know we, we we struck up a great relationship, you know, on the circuit. I mean, we used to go out drinking together all the time, so mm-hmm. we've got some stories as well. So <laughs> I'm sure there's some great ones. Yeah, if ever you get him on the uh, on the podcast, <laughs> you'd be there all day talking to him about different stories about different people. But yeah, I mean, the, the one that springs to mind is me, me, Martin, and Steve. We went to, um, well went to the ACDC concert in Berlin after Leo Gang. And I think Rachel had just bust her shoulder. So there was oh. a ticket going. So I had the ticket off Rachel. And uh, we went to this ACDC uh, concert. And we rocked up in the Atherton truck and parked by the stadium, like rock stars, you know, getting out of this truck. <laughs> had a night out in Berlin. That was pretty messy. Um, woke up the next day, went for breakfast. Anyway, we went to this concert, and we're in this concert, and there's like over a hundred thousand people there. Everyone's buying ACDC t-shirts, everything, you know, all the merch. And we stood there in the crowd, like you know, just before the crowd, the the band come on, and 
And this guy, we're having our photo taken. So Martin's taking a photo of me and Stevie. Um, I don't know, you know, you, you must know Stevie Bell, do you? Like from yeah. racing. Yeah, I don't know him personally, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great guy. And uh, so me and Stevie having a photo taken by Martin. And this guy photobombs us. I think his name's Kevin, actually, some German guy. And uh, and he photobombs this this picture. And he's like, oh, sorry, sorry. You know, I didn't mean to do that. You know, take it again. Do you want me to take it of all three of you? So he goes to take this photo of us, and he's like, "Hang on a minute!" And he's like, "This this German kid." He's like, "Ah, Stevie, Andy, the Alperton Project, like that." And we were like, "What the hell?" Like he goes, "I know you. Like, like, the Alperton Project." And we're like, "We're in this crowd of like 120,000 people, and you got this kid called Kevin from Germany going, oh, I want your autograph, you know, and I have my photo with you both and stuff like that.'" And Martin had an Alperton T-shirt underneath his ACDC T-shirt, and he ended up giving Kevin his his animal his uh, Atherton racing t shirt, and he wore it over his ACDC t shirt at an ACDC gig. Yeah, so, wow. and he was like, "You've made my day, my year, and everything." And we're like, "What? We're at an ACDC concert, and you like we've made your year? Like it was just brilliant. It was like it was so surreal. It was an incredible, incredible situation to be in. And that's that's purely because me and Stevie used to be a part on that Atherton project, you know, all the time. So it was really funny." Yeah, yeah. Story yeah, you miss times like that. You certainly do. So let's let's get into your brand here. So how did the whole yeah. virus thing come about then? What kind of switched in your in your mind to want you to start your own brand? Okay, well back in the day, um I ran a brand called Ethic Watches and that that was my first kind of uh role of running a brand and that was um I always wanted a job in the industry as a brand manager or going to races and working with athletes and and I was originally going to start an eyewear brand and Ethic was going to be an eyewear brand. But mm. obviously talking to some riders, they all had like contracts with, they had Adidas and Oakley and, and brands like that. And uh, so I, I looked at, I waited a bit. And then I noticed when I worked with Blinky, he used to wear this bright green watch and um, like a silicone Nixon watch. And I, mm-hmm. I dropped in a message one, I think it was the winter of 2012 and said, you know, if I made some watches, would you wear them? And he was like, yeah, definitely, you know, like that. So why why not so i found this factory and came up with the brand and made these watches and turned up at the national in england i think it was in may just before world cup at fort william had like a thousand watches delivered all different Uh, um sorted them out i you know i had i think that first day when i issued out watches i had blinky brooke mcdonald lloyd bruni um matt simmons who else was wearing that day uh sam dale um Everyone was wearing them. Like. And then it got to the point where that I didn't even launch a website by then. I was just giving out watches to riders and everyone was wearing them. I think that first World Cup at Fort William, I think if you look back at some of the pictures, you'll see pretty much every rider had an ethic watch on the wrist. Um, <laughs> you know, and I think it was the, the night in uh, Val Tide, riders running up to me going, sort me out a watch, Andy. I need a watch. Everyone's wearing a watch. And I was like, yeah, I had like Mick Hanna and Tracy Hanna coming up to me saying, can you, can you sort us out a watch? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I did them like Aussie colours and stuff. And uh, it was cool, you know. So I had all these people wearing these watches and it was crazy. Um, and then I, I basically, at the same time, I was running a development team with Lapierre mm-hmm. um, and then turned into the Mondraker team. And I had a rider called Innis Graham on the team. And uh, he, I, I took him onto my development team. He was a young lad, had great potential. And he, you know, won a few rounds the first years with me at the national. And then basically I managed to get him a deal with the Mondraker team. So they signed him as a, a first year junior. 
uh, on a full you know contract and um so i became his kind of manager and mentor and, and mechanic as well um so he basically had a custom painted helmet with ethic watches on it and stuff and and the Ethic brand went really well, you know, sold watches all around the world when I did launch the website, and it was, it was crazy times. Um, wow. But, you know, I made a lot of mistakes with that brand. You know, the product wasn't great. Um, I spent a lot of money on an office and equipment. I wasted money. I lived off the money because I was supplementing my mechanic wages with living off the brand. And, mm-hmm. it was, yeah, it was pretty dicey at times. You know, I sometimes I didn't have any money, so I thought, oh, I'll do a sale and I'll sell some watches and then i had some money in the bank and i could live you know a little bit so it was you know a bit weird you know that's one of my biggest regrets was i never reinvested the money into new stock i just lived off the money and you know i'd be out drinking or something and i'd get an order pop through and be like, oh you know i'll get another, another round of drinks or something you know crazy like that so <laughs> i just didn't know what i was doing you know I, i'd set up this brand and i didn't know where it was going or what it was doing um and i think where virus came about was so basically me and Innes were driving to the dirt office one day and uh he just signed another deal with Mondraker and um I was like you know what you know we've done a deal with Adidas so you know and as as contracts go with with riders and eyewear product it's you know it was good you know as good as it gets you know and a lot of them you know only the top select few make a lot of money from from sponsors like that and uh I just turned around to him and says, you know what? I said, because Innes was going to be massive in the sport at the time. You know, he, was, he, was, he had so much potential. Um, and I said, you know, if, if you're going to make some money in the sport, let's set up a brand. You know, like PT did it with Royal Racing, you know, and mm-hmm. done very well out of that. Um, and I said, let's set up a brand. You know, why don't we do an eyewear brand? You know, jokingly. And we're driving along talking about what we could do and stuff. And, and he, he got this, I think it was a back end of an envelope. I still got it, actually. There. It was in my glove box and got a pen and he started writing stuff down and and he just came up with his name virus you know v for vision and i for iris which is your eye mm-hmm. um and uh, i was like yeah that sounds really cool that's mega you know and he, he was drawing logos and stuff and which is i might add it's not like the logo that it is now but it was just those rough sketches and those ideas and kind of developed from there and then we kind of talked about it over the year and then he had a big crash and injured himself and and then I left the sport, I think that year, I think it was, yeah. I left the, that's when I left the industry. Um, and it never really materialised, the brand, it never happened. It just kind of sat there. And I had the name and everything. And and I, it wasn't until, I think, 2018, summer of 2018, I thought, you know what? You know, Innes is doing his own thing in BMX now. And, you know, he'd left the sport. And I still want to do this brand. I still want to do an eyewear brand. It was always a goal of mine. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to get some samples made and try it. And and that's where it started, really. Um, and I've tried to apply what I've learned from Ethic into this brand. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems to be working at the moment. So that's that's, that's where it's kind of heading. So it's, I've done things a little bit differently. Um, you know, and yeah, it's paying off, I think. So Yeah, cool, cool. And like, as far as design and stuff goes, Andy, like, did you design the goggles yourself and the glasses yourself? Like, how do you... You know, when you have no, do you have any experience in the eyewear industry? Like, how do you go from from not having that kind of <laughs> level of t- to design an eyewear? Yeah. You know, how do you educate yourself on it? So, um, I mean, I don't know. It's a bit of a weird subject, this, because it's it's a product that I've I've sourced basically um, and built a brand around. And I think that's the that's the thing with this. It's it's a brand 
It's a brand more than anything. Um, now, the goal is at the moment, I've just been chatting, I've had some meetings with product designers and we're actually going to be developing a new goal from the ground up. Um, and that's where it's going, really. So my initial idea was just to get a brand going and that's kind of mm-hmm. where how I went about doing it. Because um, for me, it's about the branding and the, the brand itself, I think, is is, is important to start with. Um, and, you know, the product I've got is great, um, but it's not, it's not solely, you know, it's not designed by me. Um, mm-hmm. I've managed to source it. And so that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. But obviously it's helped me sort of develop this brand to where it is today. Um, and I, I believe that's down to the, the brand in itself and, and the way I've gone about doing it. So I think that's kind of how it's got to where it is now. So, mm-hmm. But the future is looking pretty bright. So I, I'm learning, I'm learning each day. And, you know, I've, I've always, you know, I used to be sponsored by Smith back in the day when I was a junior and, um, you know, I've always had an interest in in eyewear, so mm-hmm. so yeah, it's just finding that right right company to you know, get the products from and and get the brand going really, and that's kind mm-hmm. of where we're at. At the mm-hmm. when, yeah, like when you were searching for products and stuff like that, like mm-hmm. how did you go about that? Did you have to go China direction, or did you try UK? Like how did you how did you kind of sort through all that? Right, yeah, I had a look at UK. There wasn't really many options. Um, you know, the the product is made in China. Um, and you know, I've I've managed to find a an agent out there um, who who basically deals with everything. Um, and you know, he's you know, we we do everything through WhatsApp at the moment. You know, that that's the extent of it. Um, wow. You know, you know, I'll email him some graphics and that, and and we deal with it that way. Um, and it's it's worked really well. Um, he's, he's always accommodating and that, and um, yeah, he's 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 good to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've had some issues with some bit um and he worked it out and he gets it sorted um and we're, we're talking now about a new mold uh for a new new goggle frame uh design um mm-hmm. so we're, we're dealing with that but my, my ultimate goal is to bring this all uk based um and to have the products manufactured in the uk uh which is going to cost a lot of money um yeah which we're looking into now you know what sort of funding is available for it but you know i'm my, my goal is to have a, a UK design goggle, UK manufactured, and use recycled material as well. So mm-hmm. those are the sort of three key things I'm looking at at the moment. Um, and then obviously, you know, having a cool brand as well around it, so to help it. So that's kind of where we want to go with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, the whole factory side of things, because until I got into a certain level in the surf industry, I didn't realise how much input the factories basically had because and i don't know if it's the same with yourself and virus but you know i thought let's just say some of the wetsuit manufacturers they designed all the wetsuits all the materials all the technology and house and then went to the factories and said this is what we need but when i got more involved in it i actually realized that the factories would go to the brands and say look we've developed this new material we think it'll work really well for what you guys are doing. Yeah. Let's get together and see if we can put this technology into your wetsuits. And the factories would have a big say in materials used, how things were designed, etc. Yeah. Is that the same for virus? Is that the same for the eyewear industry? Um, I think it is. There's obviously some leading manufacturers, and I think is it, there's a company in Italy that I think manufacture like is it like. 80% of the glasses or lenses or something around the world. Really? Wow. There's like, there's two, two or three companies that pretty much own majority of the market. Um, yeah. And, 
yeah and you know there are other brands do get their product made out in china you know i don't think there's i think there's any rip and roll that have their own manufacturing in the uk um mm. but there's there's other brands out there you know that do get stuff made in china and yeah it's like you know they keep sending me new designs you know we've got this we've got that you know do you want to do this or can we change this and i'm like yeah yeah you know i'll have a look at that get me a sample you know and i'll, I'll look at it um so yeah they're, they're trying to push it you know and obviously they're dealing you know on the other hand they're dealing with you know, companies, you know, with large orders. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think together everyone kind of pushes it, pushes it all, all along, you know? Um, I mean, it's a goggle at the end of the day. I mean, there's, there's some things you can do. The key thing is the lenses, really. Those are the, the major yeah. where you want the vision, but, um, you know, I'm a little, you know, the, the brand itself is, is growing and, you know, there's, there's plans, Put it being put into place that we'll see something come out perhaps next year or maybe this autumn if if we can move move quickly on it. Um, you know, I've I've actually just taken on a small um, investment into the brand as well, um, which will sort of help me develop products over the year and 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 push it on nicely. So you know, things are moving on really well at the moment. Yeah, happy days. And you're just involved in this yourself, Andy? Yeah. Yeah, it's just me uh, and a very supportive wife. <laughs> <laughs> And, and that's it, you know. Um, so I've just basically hired Matt Simmons as well. Um, he's come on board to basically be my product developer. So he's going to, after seeing what he did with uh, Cannondale and Mudhugger, um, he, he's got, you know, a wealth of experience with that. And, you know, he seemed like the good choice to, to kind of develop the product and make it better. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's the first person I'm technically paying, you know, from, from virus. So, you know, I thought, you know, it was good good choice to make really so you know he's on board i've known matt since obviously being on the world cup circuit and we've always got on really well so kind of just felt natural to kind of go to him and and uh and sort you know get this deal done really mm-hmm. so, yeah so, yeah kind of it's turning it from like a small startup brand into a more legitimate uh established brand now and it's that's the way it's moving forward so i'm really yeah. excited by where it's going yeah do you think that your background in the World Cup scene and your relationships with the pro riders and people involved in that whole industry, do you think that's helped with the brand? Do you think that's helped grow the brand? Uh, it's. It, I tell you what, that helped with ethic for sure um, because everyone was wearing the watches. I didn't even have to ask people to wear them. They were mm-hmm. to me. Um, and maybe that's testament to, to who I am and my character. You know, people got on with me really well, and I was a you know, liked person on the circuit. So um, it's different with the eyewear, and it's because obviously a lot of people are well connected with their current eyewear sponsors. Plus, there's a lot more money involved. Right, so a lot of riders want retainers, they want bonuses. Um, at the time when I did the watches, no one had a watch sponsor, so it was just something new. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always knew it was going to be more difficult to crack. And to get those top riders, it costs a lot of money. And I've tried, and I've not been successful yet. Um, but I'm still working on, you know, when we're talking like successful riders, I'm talking like your top five, you know, podium riders consistently. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's where I want to get to and winning World Cups. And that, that's always been the goal. Um, the first goal was to just get them on the, the big screen at a World Cup, and Joe Breeden helped with that you know he he approached me and i offered you know sorting out a deal we had a contract and uh he raced in that first year that we were out on the circuit and got him on red bull tv and that was just amazing you know it was a, a massive you know 
box tipped off, you know, got on the, you know, I stood in the finish arena at Fort William and there was the goggles on the big screen. And that kind of, that vision came about because I was stood at Fort William the other year when the watches were launched and I was with my brother and we looked at the big screen and you could see the watch on Bunky's wrist. And, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. You know, and then Chris went, yeah, but imagine if like you did the goggles and you'd see the name on the, the logo on the side of the helmet, you know, in the start. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. You know? And then we always, you know, talked about it from then. And that was, that was kind of the, the vision there was getting it on the big screen, you know, in the finish arena. And we did that in the first year. So, but yeah, I would definitely want to get the, the, the goggles on the right, you know, around the right necks on the podium. And that's, that's the key, key thing, but that that's going to take a lot of money. And, and I think, you know, it helps knowing those people already, because I've already been in contact with all of them, you know, and chatted to them and stuff, you know, we've, message each other on Facebook and that and I see them at the races when I when I went to the last one. So um it's it's just kind of because I'm not on the circuit anymore with the mechanic job, it's probably a little bit harder for me because I'm not there all the time. Um, yeah, yeah. And I don't know whether I always thought I'd get forgotten because when you leave the circuit, it's a very close knit family. And I'd had a couple of years away from it, but I rocked up at I think it was Val is it Valdezair? Not Valdezair. Uh Lenzerheide. Uh, back in 2019 I think it was and I went there to drop some goggles off for Joe so it's a bit of a long drive just to drop some goggles off which I wind him up about but um, <laughs> he needed some tear-offs or something in a lens I was like I'll, I'll, I'm driving out <laughs> I'll see you in a bit so drove all through the night to get to to Lenzerheide and camped in this little campsite for the weekend but it was great because I managed to reconnect with those people that you know the relationships had pretty much vanished because i wasn't on the circuit so and it was nice and refreshing actually because you know they remembered me they were still as they were with me back in the day so mm-hmm. that was quite reassuring for me you know in terms of you know just the fact that they still know me <laughs> and yeah you know, friends of me so you know and they're, they're always like oh how's, how's it going with this and that and you know i tell them and i was like yeah can i get some goggles on you and they're like oh you know still good with like so and so and maybe in a couple of years so yeah none of them have said no uh, which is the crucial thing so uh if i can come out with a better product i'm sure that'll help um and that yeah that's that's the ultimate goal really so yeah yeah i think how long's virus been going now uh i started it 2018 um got the first sample august 2018 um i think i started my ambassador program that autumn I didn't even have an actual physical product, but it was all sort of Photoshop mock-ups. Mm-hmm. And I think I had 30 people sign up for that. And that kind of, that funded the stock for the next year um, and got people out there wearing it. So, and it's kind of gone from there, really. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting few years and it's 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 more than doubled each year, year on year. So, wow. I think I've sent out 170 ambassador packages this few weeks ago anyway 170 yeah it was crazy overtook the house like my my missus was like when are all these going out again and i'm like uh when i get around to doing them and she's like well can we help and i, I had this little system to do it all and i did it all myself and i was yeah you know, i've been working i was working till like two in the morning and some mornings and then waking up at eight and starting again and yeah got them all out and there's still some because of Brexit, there's still some in transit now. Um, and those are like the German ones. It's really struggling to get stuff into Germany. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I had, I had Australian orders turning up before before any of the Euro ones did, which is crazy. Yeah. So, and yeah. they're all on the same day. Um, 
but yeah, that that's been really cool. Um, the activity has been really high on social media as a result of that, and you know, mm-hmm. I'm having orders come through on a you know several orders a day at the moment, which is great. Um, you know, I'm, I'm already about to pass what I did last year, you know, in, in the first quarter of this year. So yeah, wow, it's definitely going in the right direction. Yeah, and when you say ambassadorship deals, is that people that you're giving free product to to come on and promote the brand and wear the brand and yeah so i i started this ambassador program and it was basically like i got people to apply to be on it i'd go through the the applications you know i'd sift out a few riders that maybe i wanted to maybe offer a a good deal to like you know free product perhaps you know i've got a bit of criteria for that Mm -hmm. that riders on um and the rest of them i'd offer like you know a, a a deal you know you know, not everyone got offered the deal, but you know, some would, and it was basically buying this product. It worked out they're pretty much getting it at cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I build different packages, so I had like a gold, silver, bronze package, and the bronze was like one one goggle and a t shirt and a hat, all the way to the gold, which was like three sets of goggles, um, a t shirt, hoodie, cap, beanie, um, different lenses, and then I like last year, I had the racer pack, which is like the you get the goggle case where you can hold four goggles in there, tear off system. I mean, a roll off system. Uh, and every package has something extra to add to it, but the pricing is all pretty much, I would say, cost, cost price. So, yeah, I didn't make any money on all those. It's, but it's, I've got people out there that are pushing the brand and, you know, they all get a discount code. And if someone uses that discount code, they get the customer will get 10% off. Based on the package they ordered, they would get a certain percentage of that sale as well. So I've had some people that have made their money back from their initial investment purely based on the sales they've brought in. So, mm-hmm. um, so that works really well. So it's just it's a nightmare to keep on top of. Um, so I try and do it all at the end of each month and tally up who's used what code and how much they've earned and things like that. So yeah, I'm sure, there's a system out there I could use that would work better. But for now, it's um, it's working all right. Yeah, cool. And is this your full time gig at the minute, then, Andy? Yeah. So as of pretty much this week, I'm I'm going full time with it. So really, wow. Yeah, because I was during lockdown. Uh, well, basically last year I was made redundant. So again, I was still out of the industry. I was working in sales and marketing for an exhibition company, and uh, I got made redundant originally in March last year, and then I was furloughed for so many months because obviously. They didn't realize they could furlough me. Um, and while I was furloughed, I re—I basically dusted off my tools and set up uh, another business called the Cycle Medic. So I was doing mobile bike repairs and converting my outbuilding into a workshop, and and that got me through the lockdown. And and uh, you know I did all right. You know signed up for the government fix your bike scheme and was fixing bikes. You know getting fifty pound vouchers off the government and mm-hmm. uh, did a lot of business through that. But kind of one thing had to give really and that was the bike mechanic you know my, my passion's always been uh to run a brand and yeah um, i love fixing bikes but basically my I, I had a customer from the bike um business say you know i want to you know invest in an idea of yours Andy, and i was like okay cool you know, we struck up a bit of a relationship and talked about opening a bike shop and you know because obviously there's a big bike boom going on and and I thought about it and could have done it. And I thought, you know what? It's not what I want to do. I don't want to run a bike shop. I want to run a brand, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I decided to say, look, you know, like, forget that idea. What about this? And 
he's like, yeah, definitely. You know, so we've we've been chatting for like months now, and we're about to kind of do the deal. So, um, which is great because that will give me definitely gives me the confidence to go full time with the brand and uh, and get it to where it needs to be. And you know, I'm looking at different models now. I either carry on with the direct to consumer model or or go um, down the distribution model. So, mm-hmm. um, you know. There's, there's, there's pros and cons of both of those channels really so it's working out what's best for the brand at the moment yeah yeah certainly and you know you're you're obviously doing something right because there's so many brands out there you know um there's just so much going on at the minute but yours seems to have cut through all the mess or all the noise if you like and it, it seems to stand out your website's lovely very clean very easy to navigate you know that myself as well you really like like this is the thing you know when when you start a brand people don't realize at the start unless you have rich friends or a rich family or something you have to do all this stuff yourself right you have to learn how to build websites you have to learn how to do social media you have to learn how to use photoshop and all these different things like it's not easy right no not at all no it's 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 a lot of hard work and and i think everything I've done in the past leading up to this has kind of been a, a step to it. You know, I've learned from everything I've done and it kind of evolved into this. So, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, I love what you're doing. I love your color schemes and uh, your, your branding is very, very nice, very clean, but, but really nice uh, in your face and stuff, um, which is my kind of style. So I, I like that. Um, like as far as the future goes with the goggles and the glasses, you're doing clothing now as well. Was that something you always wanted to do also? Yeah, I think because the reason for calling it Virus Brand was I wanted to be not just known as an eyewear brand, was was everything really, do everything. And, and it kind of opens doors to for doing other products like clothing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, I, you know, from, from being inspired by the skate industry i always loved like you know going to a shop and buying a, a dc t-shirt or an etnies like beanie or something like that so casual clothing's always been a key thing for me but the race clothing i, I put a few testers out there like you know over the year and, and like people are like, oh yeah i'd buy this i'd buy that you know it looks great and, and people like you know some people love the big logo on the front some people prefer a more subtle branding um mm-hmm. And and when I kind of decided to go with launching like a pre-order on the race kit this year, this it went crazy. You know, loads of people have bought up it. You know, will be a lot of virus kit out there. I think mm-hmm. um, when it comes to it, um, and, you know, that's all due in next month. Um, so I'm excited by that. Um, again, you know, it's something I've I want to get into more the product development. You know, and actually, you know do it all myself you know not not do it all physically myself but um be a big part of the design process and eventually hire the right people to come and do that but obviously mm-hmm. i'm literally doing everything myself right now so you know every the website's done by me all the social media posts are by me the packing the ordering everything's done by me so there's literally no one else behind the business and that's the thing so, so you know hope i can at least hire someone by the end of the year to do something you know um yeah i did a, i had a bit of an intern do a video for me with shot the video with Innis, and that was start of the project you know to to kind of do a lot more content and that that kind of helped last winter um 
and you know he'll be getting money for that you know he came on as an intern and you know with no expectations of making any money but because of the success of that that um campaign you know i'll be able to pay him some money for it so, mm-hmm. which is great um but i just want to do more of that stuff so that's yeah. kind of where i want to go with it so i mean it's it's going really well at the moment. And I just, I, I want to get it to a stage, you know, I'm not, I don't do it for the money. I suppose I do it because this is what I want to do with my life and build a brand. Um, you know, if someone knocked on my door like five years time and offered to buy it, you know, I'd, I'd listen to what they have to say, but um, I'd still want to kind of be involved, <laughs> I think, you know, um, you know, I, I've had, I've had a, a lot of chats with people in the, in, in the industry and, and in particular the, the eye industry as well, the eye brand industry. So, um which has been really interesting um you know i had a good conversation with someone the other night in fact um i won't say who but um yeah they're a leading brand and uh it was it was good it was a good chat and uh you know learned a lot from it and um it gives me some confidence that uh, you know there's there's space for a brand like virus in, in mm-hmm. the so um yeah it's cool it's i think i'm trying to you know keep on plodding on and keep trying and uh i'll get there so that's that's the goal yeah definitely man definitely yeah it's funny you know because you think of the eyewear industry you know you have got some major shooters in there right like oakley and all just seem to be everywhere and you'd think you'd almost think if you were going to start a brand you'd look at that industry and say oh, there's no way i can compete there yeah. but you don't really have to compete against oakley if you look at it properly you know um, you're obviously going to kind of create your own niche market there with guys that like that bold image and everything else. So is that the way you're looking at it and, you know, that there's space there for you that way? Yeah, I, I think there's always space for a newcomer. Um, and, and I think, yeah, I mean, you could look at some of these brands and go, like, there's no way I can compete with them. You know, what's the point of bothering, you know? But then yeah. they were in that boat back in the night, you know, Another brand from America, you know, they, they, they like kept burst onto the scene like almost 10 years ago and no one had ever heard of them. And, you know, they could have had the same mindset of, well, we're never going to be able to compete with Oakley, um, but they're probably smashing Oakley into the ground right now. So, yeah, um, you know, and that that's that's the thing. It's um, it helps having money behind you for sure. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm starting I started virus on literally i think i had 100 quid to put into getting some samples made and that's it so everything's kind of been self-funded through the through the ambassador program so um i've not actually invested any you know my own money into it well i have invested money in my own time into it i suppose but um it's i've not had a big bank balance to put behind it and get it kick-started from the start so yeah you know I'm, i'm doing small steps now to hopefully you know in a few years time we're we're up there you know and you know, going to you know being being on some big riders and and uh, yeah selling selling a lot more product so that's you know that's where I want to get it to but yeah you kind of got to look at these big competitors and think well you know they started somewhere and, and that's the way to look at it really yeah so I, I think you know if you can put your mind to something you know apply it and you can do anything you know and that's always been my kind of mindset of you know what you want you know and, and yeah keep trying that's the thing yeah certainly and you need to you need to be prepared to work seven days a week long hours every day and you know you got to love the thing you got to love to do it you know yeah and 
you know, there's that saying, isn't there? Oh, you know, do do a, was it, do a job you love and you'll never do a day's work in your life or something. <laughs> don't quite believe that. I mean, it's <laughs> it's a passion, I think. It's hard work and it is seven days a week. You can never switch off. Even when I go on holiday, I never switch off. In fact, some of my best ideas come to me when I'm on holiday. So uh-huh. I end up like jumping off the sunbed and getting my notepad and writing stuff down. And, and I suppose that's in some ways a curse of running a small business or starting a brand because you just never switch off and but equally i i, I hate working for people um i don't hate working for people it's just not what i want to do you know mm-hmm. um i want to be in charge of my own sort of destiny and my own boss and um you know i want to wear flip-flops to work and things like that you know it's little things like that you know i was offered a job recently and i turned it down um and just because i'd have to work saturdays in a shop for some point and i'm like i don't want to do that i'd rather i don't mind working weekends but if it's at my, my own for my own brand and and um going to events or something like that so it was, uh, yeah. it was a it was a tough call because it was a pretty good salary for for the biking industry and you know i was quite quite honored to kind of be offered that but i i decided no i'm going to go full-time with virus and that was it that was pretty much the deciding factor for going full-time with virus it was like i can't do this and the bike repair at the same time i've got to do one or the other and focus solely on it and that's that's kind of where i'm at now yeah yeah definitely well i'm glad you did because i'm I'm interested to see you know where you go over the next number of years and i'm sure you have got a kind of a goal in place or you've got plans in the future you've got somewhere where you want the brand to be um so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it gets on. Is uh is there anything new in the pipeline you can maybe drop as a hint about or anything? Um, don't know really. It's it's all uh it's all in discussions at the moment, but there will be. We are working on something, um, cool. and um, sort of just in the sort of negotiation stages now of of like pricing for that. Um. And, you know, I think it, my, my goal is to build the ultimate goggle, basically. Um, mm. that's, that's a big, big goal for Virus. And and that comes about from a conversation with a top rider I used to work with. And he said, yeah, I'd wear your product if it was better than what I use now. So, and that's my benchmark. You know, that if I can get to that level of product, then then hopefully I can get that rider. And that would be a mm. big, big, big name. Um so that's that is my goal that I'm kind of focusing on at the moment is to get to that stage. But you know that takes a lot of money, and yeah, I've got to do it. I've got to be patient and do it right and do it. You know, I don't want to kind of blow all the cash into that and not come out at the other end with anything. So I need to see how the manage the business this year, see how it goes, and and then uh, you know build more of a sort of cult following, I suppose, and and hopefully we can do. We'll either do it as like a crowdfunder or. You know, I'd like to do it where you know the product's made and it's ready to go from day one, but um, I can see there being you know quite a bit of development time into this, and that's obviously you know Matt Simmons is part of that process, so that's the first level of that, and we're gonna you know quickly ramp that up. So, but I don't want to rush anything. I want to kind of get it done right and make sure it's good. So, mm-hmm. I, I've always had a goal to kind of launch it at like maybe one of the World Cups in Europe. Um, possibly next summer or next maybe the year after i don't know yet mm-hmm. we'll see we'll see how things go but um that's the goal yeah 
Yeah, happy days. Yeah, because you can grow too quick, too fast, too big, too fast, and then things very easily go belly up. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think you're going about it the right way. Um, and uh, you have a bit of experience there. You know, the watch brand has taught you a lot. Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, and this is the thing. And people that build successful brands, they normally have one or two fields along the way, you know. It's yeah. not plain sailing. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, the biggest thing from failure, I, I would say, you know, I'm not ashamed to say, you know, that watch brand did fail. Um, and it's because, you know, you learn from failures. I think you, you only learn from testing yourself sometimes. And mm-hmm. you, know, you just got to, you know, and I, I probably stopped trying a little bit with the with the watch brand when I left the circuit. Um, and, you know, I felt like it was tarnished by what was going on in my personal life at the time with my ex-partner and in the bike industry and you know i lost a lot of interest in a lot of stuff back then you know yeah it was a weird time um and i've always thought you know if i did do another brand i would take all those lessons learned from that and apply it into this and i'm sure i'll make mistakes with iris along the way but um it seems to be in a better place right now um than, than perhaps it could have been so um yeah i think you know, we all, we all learn from mistakes, don't we? I think. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Amazing, mate. So where can people find your product, Andy? How can they keep uh, up to date with what's going on with the virus scene? Yeah, so uh, obviously we're, we're on social media. So we're on, like, you know, I pretty much just use Instagram, to be honest. Uh, so it's just, you know, at virus brand, all one word. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, uh, virusbrand.com is the website. Um, so... You know, we've got plenty of product on there at the moment. Um, glasses are proving pretty popular at the moment, which is mm. good. I think I'm selling like three sets of glasses for every pair of goggles I'm selling at the moment. Really? So, yeah. yeah. Wow. Which I kind of expected because I think it's a bigger market. Um, you know, trail riding, enjoy riding. A lot of people don't really wear goggles for sort of average That's riding. That's true. Yeah. They do wear glasses. So uh, I've already sold out of one colorway, which I'm obviously replenishing that soon um but yeah i think i think for me the passion is the goggles because as a world cup mechanic it was always the last thing i did for a rider and that was handing the goggle to the rider and that i suppose that's where the 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 idea for the goggles came about really Mm. yeah cool cool well your stuff's really nice it's really well priced and um i'm sure people will uh, have a look at it and check it out um it's really cool man and listen i um i wish you all the all the success in the future i'd love to see your brand on the trails have you seen anybody wearing any of your stuff yet um yeah well i was up at the local downhill trails doing a photo shoot the other day and uh there's quite a few people actually wearing them so it was quite nice to go up to them and say oh <laughs> and they're like yeah yeah they're cool aren't they i was like yeah yeah it's my brand like, really i'm like yeah yeah and, uh, like, no way. All right. And I was like, yeah, yeah. So I'm only based in, like, you know, I'm based in Stafford and like there's some good local trails here and um, yeah, there's people wearing them. So that's, that's really cool. And yeah, that's the thing with the watches as well. I'd be in an airport in Canada and someone was wearing a watch and it's like, that's just mad. It's like bonkers. So, I, you know, it kind of validates what you're doing, right? When you see that. Yeah. When you see people wearing your stuff, it's there's no better feeling to be honest. It's uh Especially if they don't know who you are as well. It's mm-hmm. cool when you start having a conversation with them. So, uh, yeah. 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 It's yeah. cool. And you can grab so much info out of people like that, you know, 
why did you choose virus how did you find out about it you know what colorway did you like the best you know yeah. all that you know you can get some valuable info out of that totally without them even knowing who you are so <laughs> yeah yeah but no it's um it's cool um and, and you know i hope to see a lot more of it you know i've, I've got i've got goggles pretty much in every well yeah they've gone to canada america south america south africa australia new zealand i've had an inquiry from singapore the other day for distribution cheers um, yeah so it's you know and loads in europe i think joe breeden said to me once he was out in morzine he said i can't believe how many virus goggles are out here it's crazy so yeah, wow. really so um yeah I've, I've sent a lot to europe which is why you know brexit's been a pain in the ass really because yeah getting stuff out there has gone really expensive and takes forever so i'm looking at ways of getting stuff out there that can then be fulfilled from a, a small distribution center out there so yeah i'm working yeah. on things like that really so that's yeah all. cool yeah. man yeah cool well listen good luck for 2021 i hope things go well for you and um yeah. i hope we see some of these goggles on on the world cup downhill on on tv this year that'd be cool yeah. huh? that would be cool we've got um Thibaut Lally from the Mondraker team, he'll be wearing them. So mm-hmm. um, a couple of other guys as well. So yeah, keep your eyes peeled on that. So Excellent, man. Well, listen, thanks very much for your time, Andy. I know I've spent quite a lot of it here. That's right. No, no worries, Gareth. Um, but I know you're a busy man. So thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. All right. Appreciate your time. All right. That's a wrap for episode 185. I hope you enjoyed that, folks, and I hope you learned a little bit more about what goes into making your own brand and, of course, the great stories from the World Cup wrenching days. It would have been amazing to be involved in the industry at that time and be in that environment. You know, there's so much just went on there and uh, the guys all enjoyed themselves and had a great time. So it was good to hear all that kind of stuff from Andy. Now Andy, thanks so much for coming on the show. I do appreciate you spending the time to chat with us. And um, good luck for 2021. I hope everyone goes well. I hope the racing season picks up and there's more guys needing glasses and goggles and everything else. And um, I know your brand will do very, very well. It's such a cool brand. Um, So good luck with that, mate. And I hope to run into you at some of the events in the near future. Now folks, if you want to know more about Andy, more about Virus... Just go to the show notes, mtb-tribe.com. You'll be able to read a little bit more about what we chatted about there, get quick links, and find out a little more what's going on in the virus world. You'll also get the details there for the discounted promo. Simply use the code MTBTribe10, lowercase MTBTribe10, at checkout, or when in contact with Andy or Virus, and you will get your discounted gear there. Now, it's on until April the 30th. So snap up your discounted gear before it's too late and yet lose out. Now, if you're enjoying the show and you want to show your support, the best way is by subscribing, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Every one of your ratings helps boost us on Apple's algorithms and helps spread the good word about the show to more people. If you're not on Apple, you can also find and subscribe via Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to your podcasts from. We also have a website, mtb-tribe.com, where you can find the complete bike catalogue, listen and download every show from there for free. You can also subscribe there and get one email per week with a quick and easy link to listen to the podcast. You can also get involved in social media. We're at mtbtribe on Instagram and Facebook. You can get in contact with me there. Just PM me through those channels. Or if you want to send an email, you will find me at 
info at mtb-tribe.com. That's it for another week, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in to the show. I do appreciate you being here and I do appreciate all your interaction with the podcast. So until next week, when we have another exciting guest on with some more stories as well, I'm looking forward to it. But until then, as always, get the bikes out, hit the trails, and stay MTV stoked.